everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Recorded live. Hi, Jack. One, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. This is Jam Radio Network.
and good morning. And good good morning. This is your early morning gospel program. Morning inspirations on this Sunday morning. I'm one scripture coming from Psalms one hundred. Make a joke noise unto the Lord, all you hands. Says the Lord with gladness come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that made us and that we ourselves. The people and sheep of his of his pasture. Into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. The Lord is good; his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. A more scripture for a hundred psalms. The word of God for the people.
This is Morning Inspirations with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. And good morning. This is your early morning gospel program. Morning Inspirations. Thank you. 
Yeah, they really are. Let's sue them. Well, you can just hear it all over, can't you? Let's sue them. He got the money. He didn't do the job right. Pocketed what we gave him. He thinks it's okay. Everybody else knows that it's botched up. And now he doesn't want to do anything about it. Let's sue him. letter I believe that I received from someone. My dad trusted my brother to be the executor of his will because my brother's an attorney. And 
My dad told me he was leaving about $300,000. My brother says I'm going to get about ten or 20000 because he says everything else is, is fees and taxes and all the rest. I want to see the books he's defensive. What should I do? I want to sue him. man whom I know told me that he owed a Christian organization $300,000. There was no dispute. He was not disputing that he owed that to them, but he had had a business decline, and it went belly up, and he got into some real financial trouble, and was trying to figure out how he could pay off his debt, trying to work something out, when suddenly, boom, he served with papers. He's being sued. No discussion. No communication with him. Do you think you'll be able to pay? What kind of arrangement can we make? Out of the blue, he's given the papers. That was about two years before I had this talk with him, and he said, up till now, I have spent $250,000 in legal fees. They have spent about $250,000 in legal fees. That's a half million dollars. Let's remember that the dispute was over $300,000. But after a time, money doesn't even matter. I want to just make sure that you get your desserts. I want to humble you. I want to destroy you, and I don't care about the money. I just want you to get zapped. One time at O'Hare Field, I was listening to a conversation. Couldn't help it. It was on the phone, and I was on one phone, and the other guy was on the other. I can't quote it because it was filled with obscenities. But what this guy was saying is, somebody's really going to get it in this talking about a lawsuit, and I want to get to him before he gets to me, and I'm going to do unto him before he does to me, and we're going to see who's going to get this. Let's sue him. And then there's that celebrated story that got in the news about a woman who was disciplined by her church for adultery. She was not denying the adultery, but what she was saying to the church, though she was a member, what right do you have to tell me what I can and can't do? my lifestyle, sue the church. Why are we such a litigious nation? You've often wondered that. Well, aren't you glad that you came today because I'm going to tell you. You don't know, you're going to learn something. What we have today is this exaltation of individual rights with a corresponding dissent and corruption of personal morals and integrity. So when you put the two together, you have a recipe for incredible lawsuits. Remember that uh, story in the news, I'm not making it up, where two children in a sandbox got into an argument and the parents went to court to settle the dispute. It used to be that parents could work those things out when character was important. But today, you see, without character, they cannot even settle that, and everybody's going to show everybody else what's what. In fact, did you know this? I'm not making this up. Very recently, two people were arrested because they were standing in line at a courthouse, and they were telling attorney jokes. And a young attorney got angry, and the more angry he became, the more jokes they told, and he had them arrested, handcuffed, brought in, Thankfully, the charges were dropped, but have we come to that where you can't even tell an attorney joke? 
Now, I feel sorry for attorneys. By the way, we have many of them at Moody Church, and they are all honorable. And some of them tell me that the people with whom they work are some of the most honorable people in the business. So I have to feel sorry for attorneys. I have to feel sorry about the fact that 95% of them make the other 5% look bad. I mean, I feel sorry for them. But to arrest them? You know, you notice the difference between uh, America and other countries on this point. My wife and I were in Switzerland. We took a uh, chairlift to the top of a mountain, and then we walked around there for a couple of miles. It was just gorgeous. But along the way, about 15 feet possibly from the path, there was a fence with just two wires. I mean, it was the kind of fence that any kid could crawl through. You almost didn't have to do anything just to get past it. And, And beyond that fence was a sheer cliff that must be hundreds and hundreds of feet into an abyss. Now here's the difference between other countries and ours. Let's suppose a child goes over the fence and falls over. In America, who are we going to sue? It's the fault of the park district. It's the fault of somebody. Who owns this mountain anyway? They should have, they should have put up a decent fence. That fence, I want to sue. You know what they say in Switzerland? Isn't it too bad that parents don't take better care of supervising their children? It's a whole different way of looking at life. But you see, what we have today, follow this carefully, is a decrease in individual responsibility and a heightened increase in personal rights. And so everybody's suing everybody else to get every last dime and every last little bit because, you see, the people of the world believe that this is the only world that there is. Well, our text today is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where the Apostle Paul is talking about lawsuits among Christians. And what he does in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is to give us a number of reasons why Christians should not go to court with other Christians in civil cases. Grievances. That's my translation here in the ESV. When one of you has a grievance, against another? Does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Why shouldn't Christians sue others when it comes to these kinds of grievances? First, because of your witness to the world. What you are really saying to the people of the world is, we're Christians, but we can't resolve our disputes. We don't have any wise people in our church to be able to negotiate, to be able to mediate. Oh, no, no, no. So we have to go to secular courts, just like the rest of you, to resolve all of these issues, some of which may be great, some of which may be petty. But what we need to do is to get you to have it in the church. Paul says, wait a moment. Ever thought of how that makes Jesus look? It makes Jesus look bad. Remember this, the world is always trying to find out reasons why they don't need a Savior. And when we act like they do, they say, you know, these people are Christians, they attend a Moody church or some other church, and look at, they are suing one another just like the people of the world. They are just like us. Paul says, don't do that because of your witness to the world. Secondly, he says, it shows your love of worldly values. You have absorbed into your system the values of the world. Notice what Paul says. 
Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels how much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? That phrase is variously interpreted, but it's translated this way as I've read it. Uh, the idea is that you're going before people who are not regarded as Christians. I say this to your shame. Can it be there's no one wise enough to settle dispute between the brothers, but brother goes to law against brother, and that's before unbelievers, Paul says. He says it really shows that you've, you've absorbed the values of the world if you go to court in these civil cases with another Christian, because after all, these cases are trivial in comparison to the ones that we are going to judge. They're trivial. That's what Paul says. You say, oh, what do you mean, $100,000 trivial? Uh, what do you mean the guy came in here recommended by the church of all things? We should sue the church because he didn't do a good job. Paul says, hey, these cases are trivial. You say, oh, trivial. I think about them night and day. Paul says, wait a moment. You're talking like an unbeliever. Do you not know that we are going to judge the world? This is what the Bible says. Now, I'm going to read it directly because if I don't, some of you are going to say he's making it up. Jesus said this, The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over all the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. Jesus said, I'm going to rule over the world, and you're going to be ruling there over the world with me, and I'm going to give you assignments that have to do with authority and judication. That's big stuff. Paul says, you're going to rule over the world. Jesus said also in the book of Revelation, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, even as I overcame and sat on my father's throne. Jesus said, you are going to sit on the throne with me in the coming kingdom, judging the world, judging angels, could refer to fallen angels. We may have a hand in judging the devil and his demons. If the text is referring to good angels, the holy angels, then of course we won't judge them in that sense, but we will rule over them, which is another way to interpret that word judge. But either way, what Paul is saying is there's an eternity out there with huge eternal issues. In comparison, in comparison, your petty differences, you were cheated out of money, is trivial trivial. You want the whole world to stop on its axis because somebody did something to you that was hurtful and wrong, and you want justice, and you want it now. Paul says, wait a moment. Wait a moment. You're talking like the people of the world who want justice now because they don't believe that another world is coming. So the second reason is you've... Um, accepted worldly values. Thirdly, you show your lack of submission to church authority. 
Paul says, are there not wise people in your church who are uh, willing to arbitrate? Uh, can't you be submissive? If there are two brothers and they're in the same church, couldn't, couldn't you take this to an elder or a wise person in the church who would be able to arbitrate between the two of you and then you would accept the verdict? People say, oh, no, I wouldn't accept the verdict because I don't know. I don't know. What if, he, what if he came down on the wrong side? And, of course, if he does come down on the wrong side, what you can do is, you know, you can leave the church and you can go next door because I don't like what the elders did and I can't accept their authority, and so I'm out of here. There's some other church that will accept me. Yes, there is another church that will accept you. You can always find somewhere else to go to church and not use what has happened in your life and your submission for the glory of God. You can escape what God wants to do in your life. And, and sometimes elders and sometimes people in the church are not infallible. They aren't infallible. Sometimes they make mistakes. But people who are under subjection say, despite the mistake, all accept their wisdom and trust God through it. So what he said is, uh, you show a lack of submission. He says, you accept defeat and not blessing. Notice in verse 7, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. What Paul is saying is, for openers, the very fact that somebody in the church does something wrong to you and then will not make it right, that in itself is a defeat. But then that the person takes you to court, the person whom you have wronged, he is becoming a part of that defeat. He is, he is submitting to the worldly system regarding the resolution of a conflict. And he's doing it in the wrong way. Christian attorney said that in all the cases that he has seen, when a Christian goes to court with another Christian, then he does not receive blessing even if he wins the case. So you win the case, okay? You do. But at what cost and at what expense? Suffering wrong, as we shall see in a moment, is highly prized by the Apostle Paul and highly prized by Jesus. Would you not rather suffer wrong? In taking a brother to court, you participate in his guilt, assuming that he is guilty. Now, I need to talk with you very, very practically about some matters. Uh, first of all, if you are taken to court, if you are sued, you certainly have a responsibility and a right to protect yourself. Uh, the Apostle Paul, when he was in difficulty, he appealed to his Roman citizenship. So if someone serves you papers, you have uh, really little option except to respond. In fact, attorneys tell you, don't talk to the person who is suing you. And so they cut off brother from brother and sister from sister, and they, they simply tell you now, uh, no talking, no phone calls, no cards, nothing until this is resolved. And because you're a part of a legal system now, you have to go along with that, and you have to defend yourself. Also, I need to say that I do believe that Paul here is talking about civil cases. If you 
as a woman are married to a man and you discover that he's a pedophile and is dangerous with your children, whatever you do, don't say, well, we're just going to let it happen and suffer wrong. You have a responsibility to yourself. You have a responsibility to your children. You have a responsibility now in those matters of criminal activity where the state has an interest and so in no way are we simply saying that you always need to accept what is happening and suffering wrong. Paul is talking about grievances that have to do with money and property issues and, and those kinds of, of uh, dealings among people. Also, if you, if you are married to someone like that, he should really be regarded as an unbeliever. It's part of the responsibility of the church. Next message in the series is on reconciliation and I'll explain that more clearly that you get to a certain point in a person's life where his behavior regardless of what he says needs to be interpreted by fallible human beings as him being one who is not a believer in which case it would seem to me the Apostle Paul's uh, warnings and admonition does not directly apply if indeed such a person is an unbeliever. And uh, thankfully, thankfully, there are today Christian arbitration organizations. There are those who say that uh, what we will do is we'll provide an attorney, maybe a pastor along with the attorney, and there's such a thing as binding arbitration where two Christians who can't resolve a dispute come together, and after they've come together, uh, the case is heard and a decision is made, and in advance, both parties agree that they will accept whatever decision has been made. This surely, surely, is a much better way. And, of course, the legal fees are minimal in comparison to all of the legal fees and the meandering that goes on within our judicial system. So we do need wisdom in the application of this text, but I need to emphasize that Paul is saying that it is better for you to suffer wrong and to be defrauded. That's the last reason why he gives, why Christians should not take other Christians to court. You avoid the privilege of suffering. Now I can imagine I'm speaking to somebody who says, I can't believe what I'm hearing, the privilege of suffering. I've suffered, and I don't consider myself blessed or privileged. Actually, the whole series of messages that I've preached in this series is entitled Suffering Wrong. Someone who saw the series title said, you can't be preaching that because nobody is willing to suffer wrong today. And I said, well, never know. I'm preaching to a group of Christians. There may be those who are willing to suffer wrong. Sometimes we have no choice. Let me give you three reasons why biblically suffering wrong would be considered to be a great privilege. First of all, because you identify with Jesus. You identify with Jesus. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he uttered no threats, but kept committing himself to the Father who judges righteously. Jesus said, I'm being falsely accused. 
I'm being constituted and considered a great sinner. Slander is against me. Injustice is against me. The hatred of the Romans and the hatred of the Jews is against me. And all that I've tried to do is to do good, but I keep entrusting myself to him that judges righteously. I'm not going to lash out. I'm not going to vaporize the people who come for me and use my awesome power to simply wipe them out and tell them what I really think of what they're doing. Can you imagine what you and I would do if we had the power of Jesus in a situation like that? We'd make sure that we were going to set it straight. Jesus said, I don't need to do that because I have a Father who judges righteously. So, first of all, because you identify with Jesus. Secondly, it gives God an opportunity to display his grace. It gives God an opportunity to display his grace. In fact, all suffering gives God an opportunity to display grace in our lives. But there is no suffering that is as painful, in my opinion. There is no suffering as painful as the suffering of injustice. You see, if you get cancer or some other disease, I mean, that can be excruciating and terrible, but there's nobody really who's trying to get even with you, nobody who has slandered you, nobody who has stabbed you in the back, no friend who has betrayed you. Those kinds of hurts, the latter hurts that I've mentioned, they, they go deep into the soul. They, they are a part of who we are. It, it is those kinds of hurts that keep us awake at night. And what keeps us awake at night is this desire for revenge, to finally see the score even. And there are times when we will not see the score even in this life. But what an opportunity it is for God to display his grace, to say, in the midst of all of this, I pour grace into your soul. Grace upon grace, like an elastic band stretching to the extent of your need. The injustice has a way of cutting us deeply, but in the middle of the cut, God comes along with healing, healing within our souls. And there's a third reason. It gives a testimony that you believe in another world. You believe in another world. This is critical. I am not telling you today to give up your desire for justice. The desire for justice is built into our lives. It is part of who we are. It's part of the creation of God in his image. We desire justice. I'm simply asking you to be willing to have the faith to punt the ball to the Supreme Court of the universe. Notice what Jesus said. He kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously, to believe that there is a day coming when every single wrong will be answered. You say, well, but, uh, but you know, the person who's uh, suing me or has done me evil, he is, uh, he's a member of God's family, and he's going to be in heaven. When we get to heaven, God's going to forget all about these things. Oh, really? What Bible are you reading? 
You must be reading the reverse vision. That's what the judgment seat of Christ is all about. Here's a couple who walk hand in hand. They're married. They have children. The man runs off, marries somebody else, goes down to the south somewhere and lives in luxury and money and won't even make child payments. And let's suppose he is a Christian. Not acting like one, but let's just suppose for the purpose. And now, suddenly, they both die and they get to heaven and God is going to ask them, oh, just walk hand in hand in the heavenly kingdom and forget everything because... Because, after all, you're both Christians and you're both accepted just like Jesus is accepted. That's not the way it's going to be. That's why it's called the judgment seat of Christ. And that's why it says, dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. Why? Another day is coming and you entrust your case to a higher court. And you know that someday justice will happen. Someday the truth will be revealed and every, every injustice will be answered. And in the case of the unsaved, they will have to bear the full brunt of their evil for all of eternity as their life is dragged out in the presence of God so justice rules. We think of slavery and its injustice. James, in his book, makes an astounding statement because in those days, many of the same things happened. What, what happened is rich people exploited the poor, had them work real hard in their farms and in their work, and then never paid them. And so James, in chapter 5, is talking to rich people, and he's speaking with biting sarcasm about them and their exploitation. And then he says, I'll skip to verse 4, Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. God is watching. And what James is saying, and these people didn't have the opportunity to appeal to various things that we might have the same opportunity to appeal to. But what he's saying is, be patient in suffering because there's another world coming. There's a world when justice will, will prevail. When the exploiters will be exposed. Because the cry of the oppressed has come and reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. What I'm asking you today is to simply, simply turn over that terrible desire to get even. To simply give it to God and to say, God, like Jesus, I'm going to keep entrusting myself to him. Judges righteously. Thank you, Jesus, that sometimes, sometimes I, I know that the truth will come out. Righteousness will prevail. The innocent will be vindicated. The exploiters will be exposed. That brother who lied about dad's will will have to answer to God. 
willing to entrust my case to the highest. You know what God will do? He'll pour grace into your soul. Use injustice. Jesus. It hurts. But it helps. Father, for all today who suffer because of injustice, Christians doing evil things against others. Father, we, we wish that we could right every wrong. We wish that the truth would come out in every situation. We wish that every person who was chiseling wills from family members would be exposed. We wish for that, but we can't have it in this life. We thank you that another day is coming. Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, God of all gods, will rule and justice will prevail. Now, Father, for your people, we wish that we had more time to help them to transfer the weight of their own pain to you. But grant them that ability, we pray. In Jesus' blessed name, amen. Amen. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
and the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. Like 
Pressure fell on me. I thought I was gonna lose my mind. 
Wakutu, Children's Choir, and Be Exalted. Good morning. This is the early morning gospel program. Morning Spacious on this first Sunday morning of the month. Wow. 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 It's already here. Well, we got more coming up your coming your way. More music coming your way. Right after we do this, so stick around. I'm in the car next to you on the highway. I sit in front of you on the bus. I'm one out of every six Americans, and I'm struggling with hunger. This isn't an uncontrollable epidemic. There's enough food in this country to feed every hungry person. Please, visit feedingamerica.org today and find your local food bank. Every dollar you donate helps provide seven meals for those around you, quietly struggling with hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Cora, Wisconsin is known for its luxury hotel, upscale restaurants, gardens, art museums, and a stunning lakeside golf course. How interesting, then, that this village was built for immigrant workers at the Kohler Company, known for its innovative bath fixtures. Walter J. Kohler believed his workers deserved not only wages, but roses as well. He built them homes, schools, a meeting hall, and with the designers of New York Central Park, he added beautiful gardens. One of the nation's first planned communities remains one of its finest. This is Howard Butt, Jr. of Laity Lodge. Walter Kohler didn't stop at safe working conditions and adequate wages. He knew that souls also need beauty. All three contribute to the high calling of our daily work. For more information, visit ourdailywork.org. Every 40 seconds, a child is reported missing in the United States. Of these missing children, under 45% are African-American children who are being torn from their families. There are astronomical numbers of abused, missing, and murdered African-American children that fail to get the needed exposure in the media. Hi, this is Brother Reggie, asking you to go to www.peaceintheirpods.com. It is everyone's job to save our children. This is Morning Inspirations with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
Can you tell if the surfaces in this kitchen are crawling with bacteria that could cause chronic arthritis? Listen. Can't, can you? You can't see it either. Wash surfaces.
surfaces, utensils, and hands frequently with soapy water while preparing food, especially when handling raw meats or eggs. Raw food may contain bacteria that can make you very sick or worse. One in six Americans will get sick from food poisoning this year, and roughly 3,000 will die. But you can keep your family safer by cleaning with soap and water as you go. Learn more about this and other important information. Check your steps at foodsafety.gov. That's foodsafety.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Today, we're taking a close look at one of God's greatest gifts, the gift of smell. This is the Creation Moments Minute. The ability to smell is one gift we often take for granted. That's probably because we usually identify things more quickly with one of our other senses. At the same time, Thanksgiving dinner would not be the same without the smell. Some of the most unlikely creatures have a sense of smell. Believe it or not, even fungi have a sense of smell. Worms have organs on their heads to sense odor. Ticks carry their scent-detecting organs on their feet. This arrangement would not work for us. Mollusks smell through their gills. The salmon uses smells to find the same brook in which he was spawned. Lizards and snakes use their tongues to detect scents. More about the gift of smell tomorrow on the Creation Moments Minute. I'm Darren Marlin. Hi, this is Savannah Guthrie with an urgent story developing right now in every state and county across America. Despite having more than enough food available in this country, there are nearly 16 million kids, that's one in five children, struggling with hunger. They often don't even know where their next meal is coming from. And the worst part is, this has been going on for years. There's no excuse for it, and that's why Feeding America is doing its best to put an end to childhood hunger. As a nationwide network of food banks, Feeding America engages local communities in solving hunger by collecting surplus food, giving hope to hungry kids and their families all across our nation. But they need your help. Join me in supporting Feeding America and your local food bank. You can start by going to feedingamerica.org to learn more. Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. Hey, Nick Cannon here. So, of course, we all know there's lots of talent in America. But unfortunately, there's something else we've got way too much of. Childhood hunger. 17 million kids struggle with it in this country. But here's the thing. This problem is entirely solvable. Seriously, we already produce more than enough healthy, nutritious food in this country to feed every single last one of those hungry kids. We just need a way to get it to them. That's why the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks is out there every day gathering surplus food to give hope to hungry kids and their families all across the country. But they need your help. Join me in supporting Feeding America and your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. Together we can solve hunger. Together we're Feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council.
Would you join with me, please, in prayer? Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. Jesus, thank you that you loved me enough that you became a man and died on a cross, paid the price for all the wrong things that I have done. I'm sorry for my sin. It's my sin that puts you on that cross. And I'm sorry. I don't want to live in rebellion to you anymore. I ask you to forgive me. And tonight I open my heart and I invite you into my life to be my Savior and my Lord. I believe, Jesus, you are the Son of God. I believe you died for me to pay the price for all the wrong things that I've committed against God and against man. I believe that on the third day, by the power of God, you were raised from the dead as living proof that my trust in you tonight is not in vain. I believe that as Christ was raised from the dead, so tonight, Almighty God, you are raising me from the dead, from the death of sin. You are giving me a new life, the life of Jesus Christ. Oh, God, on my testimony and the belief in my heart and according to your word, at this moment, I believe I am saved. I am saved. I am saved. Oh, let me ask you, friends, in closing tonight, have you done this? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you come to that obedience of faith? Have you come to that place of true repentance and true faith? Have you turned around? Have you forsaken your sin? Have you turned around? Have you forsaken your sin? Are you trusting alone tonight in Jesus Christ for your salvation? For there is no other way, there is no other message. For there is no other way, there is no other message. Oh, come to him, come to the Saviour tonight. Come to him just as you are. Come to him in your sin. Come to him in all your needs. And cast yourself upon his mercy and upon his infinite grace. And cast yourself upon his mercy and upon his infinite grace. And cast yourself truly to him. And you too will enter into that joy sins again, peace with God, and eternal, abundant life, through Jesus Christ, our Lord.
This is Morning Inspirations with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.